Welcome back to the Aftermath series. Uh, here at Three Circle Church, we're taking a journey together through the 40 days between the resurrection of Jesus and the ascension of Jesus into heaven. Now, those 40 days were absolutely power-packed uh, with incredible moments that changed the lives of the early followers of Christ forever, and we believe that they can change our lives as well. Uh, last week, we took a look at the road to Emmaus, two followers of Jesus were totally crushed by the crucifixion and the death of Christ. And sadly, they were walking the long, lonely road between Jerusalem and a little town called Emmaus. And during that seven-mile walk, Jesus showed up and walked with them. And as we unfolded the story of their encounter with Christ, we saw that it changed them forever. And when they finally realized who he was, he vanished from their midst. And then the Bible tells us they ran back to where the disciples were. Uh, the point of this story is that once they realized that Jesus was true, real, and alive, that he had been resurrected from the dead, it changed them forever. And that's the point of the Aftermath series. The resurrection changes everything. You see, when we look at the person of Jesus, there are three things about him that sets him apart from all others. Uh, first of all, there is his historical impact. No single human being has ever had the historical impact that Jesus Christ has. He literally turned the world upside down. His teachings, his life, uh, his, his gospel, uh, everything that he did, everything that he was, has changed and impacted the world like no other. Secondly, would be prophecy fulfillment. We learned last week, and we'll see more of it today, that Jesus fulfilled 300 plus prophecies in the Old Testament. And the odds of a one human being fulfilling all those Old Testament prophecies, the number is almost unimaginable. Yet Jesus did this, and it sets him apart. But then finally, the absolute distinctive about Jesus, above all other world religions, about, above all others who've ever claimed to be a deity or claimed to be a God or claimed to be a Messiah, is the resurrection. Jesus Christ publicly was crucified and executed buried, and three days later, he rose from the dead. And the resurrection changes everything. Let's pick up the story where these two followers of Christ run back to a room where the rest of the disciples are hiding. We go, if you have your Bibles or your devices, go to Luke chapter 24. We're going to pick up in verse 33. It says, So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem, and found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Now, these two followers are excited. They've seen Jesus. So they run all the way back to Jerusalem and they find the 11 and some of the other followers of Christ. They're in this room. They're locked in a room. Now, why are they locked up in this room hiding? It's because they were terrified. Uh, their world that had been so amazing with Jesus had been turned upside down by his crucifixion and execution. And now the disciples are confused, uh, they are distressed, and they're scared. Uh, they're wondering if the same bloodthirsty mob that demanded Jesus' crucifixion is going to come knocking on their door and demand that they be executed as well. They're confused. They're hearing stories that people have seen Jesus. Now here's these two other people that have seen Jesus, and they're wondering why they haven't. They're wondering what's going on. Did someone take his body? Did, or is he really alive? And, and, and they're trying to piece the pieces together. And, and they're just confused, like many of you are tuning in today. And maybe your world has been turned upside down. All of us have been impacted by the situation we're in. Maybe you've lost your job. Or maybe someone you know has. 
Or maybe you're sick or you know someone who's struggling with the virus. Maybe you're just afraid about what's going to happen next. Well, you have good company because the, the disciples of Jesus on this evening, this Easter evening, locked in a room, they were terrified and confused. But all of that is about to change. So now we pick up the story where these two followers of Christ who recognize Jesus there in that little town of Emmaus, they, they have run all the way back to this place where the other 11 disciples are hiding out, right? They're scared, they're terrified, they're confused. There's, a, there's 11 of them, but, but actually Thomas is not with them yet. So there's really 10 of them in the room. Uh, we're going to pick up Thomas next week. And these disciples, these two that saw Jesus begin to recount their story, and now the room is filled with excitement, but still a lot of confusion. They're still wondering what is going on. And then in the middle of that confusion, in the middle of that locked room, uh, that place where these scared disciples are hiding out, Jesus appears. Let's pick up the story. Luke 24, 36 says, Now as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace to you. The first thing Jesus says to these scared, confused, terrified disciples is peace to you. Uh, many of you are joining us today and, and you're in a time of turmoil. How powerful is it to hear the words of Jesus, the resurrected Christ, the one who changes everything, say to you, peace to you. You know, when I think of the word peace, I think of this place where I am right now. This is one of my favorite spots in the world. It's Mobile Bay. Mobile Bay is a beautiful historical place. The early explorers who found this bay, they named it the Bay of the Holy Spirit. What an amazing name for such a peaceful place. When I think of peace, I think of a scene like this. Uh, when I think of peace, I think, like many of you do, of the idea, and I think it comes from our English language, that peace is the absence of turmoil. It's the absence of violence. It's the absence of, of hardship. That, that would be peace. But the idea that Jesus gives us in the Bible is a much deeper meaning because what Jesus said from a Hebrew standpoint was not simply peace to them, but the idea of shalom. It's even a beautiful word to say, right? What he said to them was shalom to you. Now, let's talk about that word for a moment because the, the ancient Hebrew idea of shalom is much more than our idea of peace. Our idea of peace kind of gets halfway to where Jesus was trying to take us because the idea of shalom is not simply the absence of violence or the absence of hardship or the absence of confusion. It's also the presence of the idea, the concept of completion, holistic completion. It's the idea of order being brought to chaos. 
You can see this theme, this mega theme throughout the Bible. You can go all the way back to Genesis before the creation. The Bible says the world was chaotic. It was, it was without form. It was void. And then God spoke into that void and brought order and creation. You can see it throughout the scriptures, uh, God speaking peace. And here Jesus speaks to his disciples in the middle of their uh, darkest moment. And he tells them, I am bringing shalom. The first thing Jesus does when it comes to shalom is he speaks it to them. And he does the same for us. He speaks shalom into our lives. So again, if your idea of peace is just the absence of bad things, you're, you're not getting the full concept that Jesus wants you to get. Like right now during the pandemic, maybe peace to you is when your kids finally go to bed and you go, that's peace. Finally, I can kick my feet up and relax for a little while. Or maybe peace to you, you feel like it's going to be when all of this confusion goes away. But I have better, I have better news than that. Jesus offers us more. Jesus doesn't just offer us neutrality. He offers us the presence of something greater than we could ever imagine. He doesn't just offer us uh, the absence of bad things. He offers us the presence, His presence, that brings deep shalom to our lives. Deep peace. A peace that can only be found in a relationship with the resurrected Christ Himself. Now the thing about peace sometimes for all of us is that it seems like it's such a very fragile thing. Like you may be having a great day and then boom, everything changes, right? We all know what it's like to see shalom be broken, don't we? This bay where I'm standing right now is peaceful in the moment, but historically this place where we are can become violent in a second. Massive hurricanes have come through over the years, hurricanes like Frederick and Katrina that have brought incredible violence. Uh, there, there's, there's times where this bay uh, over uh, the course of a few minutes can become a cauldron of boiling water. It's amazing how quickly shalom can be broken even in a place like this. In fact, just to remind us of how quickly the Mobile Bay can turn, take a look at this. So as you guys can see, shalom can certainly be broken in a place like Mobile Bay, uh, in a place like Jerusalem and ancient Palestine. The disciples saw that their shalom world with Jesus got shaken up and, and broken. And, and the Bible uh, has a theme running all the way through it. And the theme is that shalom was broken in the very beginning. You see, much like this glass that I'm holding in my hand, if I drop it on this pier that I'm standing on, this glass will break into thousands of pieces and it'll be impossible to put it back together. Well, my friends, that's exactly what happened in a garden many, many, many years ago. The Bible tells us in the book of Genesis, the origin story of humanity. And what we see is that God created the world. God gave us creation. The Bible says uh, the heavens and the earth He created. And when God created the world, He created it with shalom. He brought shalom to the world, order, beauty, uh, abundance. And then he created humans, Adam and Eve, and placed them in a garden, and they lived in perfect shalom. In fact, their shalom went in 
three different directions. They had perfect peace with God. Their relationship with him was unbroken. They had a perfect relationship with one another, right? So you could go, one was vertical with God and their horizontal relationship with one another. It was unbroken. It was perfect. It was shalom. And their relationship with creation was perfect. It was unbroken. Animals and, and food and, and the environment itself was a perfect shalom environment. God created everything with shalom. And then we dropped the glass. We dropped the glass. The Bible says that Adam and Eve became self-centered. At the end of the day, they decided that they wanted to be their own gods. They wanted to be the king and the queen of the garden. They wanted to do what they wanted to do. Yes, they were tempted, but the Bible's clear they made choices. And when they did, uh, the glass of shalom was broken. And the Bible says that if you begin to just blame them for your predicament that you're in, uh, you can't go there because the book of Romans says, we have all, like Adam and Eve, dropped the glass. All of us live life, if we don't have Jesus, walking on broken glass. Uh, we, have, we have broken shalom. We are all, listen, we're all shalom breakers. I'm a shalom breaker. You're a shalom breaker. And the Bible says that when shalom was broken in the garden, everything changed. Uh, their relationship with God was broken. They were separated from God. In fact, the Bible calls it a spiritual death. Uh, not only was their perfect shalom relationship with God broken, it was broken with one another. The first thing you see is that Adam and Eve turn on each other. They begin to blame each other. Their relationship wasn't the same. Uh, the, the freedom that they had lived in was now broken. And then the Bible's clear that their relationship with creation was broken. The glass hit the ground. And now Adam and, and all uh, humans would work hard to, to get the earth to provide for them. And, and, and there's many other things that would happen. The relationship even with animals and, and the rest of creation was broken. The environment itself began to change. And they were removed from that perfect garden, shalom, had been broken. And then we get this big mega theme in the Bible. If you look in Genesis, you'll see that God, our triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit had a plan. And their plan was all along, bring back shalom. You see, when you break a glass like this, you, you just can't put it back together. There's this great story. If you're a football fan like I am, a few years back, Alabama uh, had a national championship. They've won a few of them, right? And they had this crystal ball trophy and there was this group of people hanging out around the trophy in the trophy room at the University of Alabama. And actually one of the parents of a, a football player bumped the trophy, this crystal ball, and it hit the ground and it shattered into thousands and thousands of pieces. And guess what? They couldn't put it back together. When glass breaks like that, it's just everywhere. It's impossible, right? It was broken and they had to replace it. They had to go get another one because they just couldn't put it back together. And, and, and that's the same thing with creation. You see Adam and Eve in the garden, they're trying to put the glass back together. They cover themselves with fig leaves. And, and that starts a, a really bad situation for humans because ever since that garden, we've been trying to put the glass back together and we just can't. We, we can't do it. In fact, every world religion except for Christianity tells you to put the glass back together. Every one of them, Buddha, uh, Islam, uh, Hinduism, you name it. All world religions except for Christianity requires that you do the impossible, that you take glass that we broke and put it back together for you to create your own shalom. But the message of the, 
of the Christian faith, the message of the Bible is we couldn't put the glass back together. We needed Jesus to do that. And, and throughout the Old Testament, we get these prophecies that there is one coming, one coming who will restore shalom. And when Jesus came, they thought he would do that by running the Romans out of town and creating a new throne of David and that he would be a military leader and that he would take the throne and the power back. But Jesus went deeper than that because shalom is not just the absence of bad, it's the presence of good. So Jesus comes and on the cross they crucify him and no one understood that what Jesus was doing with his own blood and his own life and his own death is that he was going to conquer the very epitome of broken shalom. And what is that? It's death. What's the ultimate sign that the glass of humanity was broken, that the shalom had been crushed? It's death. We were never meant for it. The grave. It's the one thing that was unconquerable until Jesus. And when Jesus was buried and on the third day he rose again, folks, the impossible became possible and the glass that had been broken was now being put back together. And Jesus walks into a room with his confused followers who don't understand what he's up to. And he in a resurrected body speaks to them and he's still speaking today. He's speaking today in your situation. He's speaking today in your brokenness, in my brokenness. And he says, Shalom. I'm here to restore what the enemy took. I'm here to restore what you allowed into your life. We all have, right? We all have broken glass. We're all Shalom breakers. And it all goes back to our self-centeredness, doesn't it? I mean, if I look at my life, when the, when the glass of shalom breaks in my marriage, it's normally my fault. It's when I demand my way. Now, when the glass breaks in my family, it's because we're all caring about ourselves more than one another. You see, the theme is right there in the Bible. The Bible told you in the Old Testament, the law of God was given to us. If you take the Ten Commandments, they are a perfect path to shalom. The problem was the Ten Commandments couldn't be followed by any of us. We just keep breaking them right? And here comes Jesus, who totally fulfills the law, which was the blueprint for shalom. He follows the commands, then he dies, living that perfect life, and then offers us shalom. He speaks shalom over us. Jesus came to rescue us. Jesus came to set us free. I see, we can't put the glass back together, but Jesus, Jesus could. And Jesus, Jesus did put the glass back together.
So Jesus speaks peace, shalom, into the lives of these disciples, and he does so for us as well. And no matter what you're going through today, Jesus can bring shalom. It's what you were made for. It's what you hunger for if you don't have Jesus. And if you have Jesus, uh, you have the shalom available to you. Uh, Jesus makes things right between us and God. And then out of a right relationship with God, a shalom relationship with God, Jesus then makes things right with us together. It's why the Bible says love God and love others. And yet it even makes the world you're in different because uh, with a shalom relationship with God, you begin to see creation as something to be thankful for. You begin to see the hand of God even in creation. It is amazing how full and rich and how all-encompassing the shalom of Jesus is in our lives. So let's pick up the story because there's more to this incredible episode with Jesus and the disciples. We go now to uh, verse 37. So Jesus has just said, peace to you, but they were terrified and frightened. Isn't that just like us humans? 
Jesus is standing there with them. They should be excited, and they're freaking out. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a great reminder that shalom, it's hard for us. It's hard for us to accept it. It's hard for us to, to live in it. They were terrified and frightened, and they supposed they had seen a spirit. And so they think Jesus is a ghost because, hello, he just walked through a wall, right? And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is me, it is myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Now, I love this moment because I think the Scriptures want us to understand that when we deal with doubt, and I bet many of you do, I know I do at times, uh, don't think that God's caught off guard by your doubt. Jesus was standing in front of His disciples and they still had doubts. They were still confused. They still did not understand. So then Jesus does something amazing. He is able to do things that most human bodies cannot do, but then He proves that He's still indeed a human. He's still forever and ever the God-man. And he says to them, come and touch me. He says, I have bones. Look at my hands and feet. He's showing them crucifixion wounds. Jesus in his glorified body is still a real human. This is amazing. It's mysterious and amazing at the same time. And what I love is that when we doubt, when we follow Jesus, he is pursuing us to bring us to shalom. Uh, he doesn't just appear to them and speak peace to them. He now shares peace with them. And how does he do it? He brings them close. Jesus is always bringing us closer to provide us shalom. It's a process. It doesn't all happen in a moment. And the disciples now get to touch him. They get to see him close. It's amazing. Uh, verse 40, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. But while they still did not believe for joy. So now, let's get this. They have now touched him. They now see his hands the Bible lets you know that the disciples still could not let themselves embrace shalom. They had not believed for joy. By the way, that's a little insight there. What does shalom ultimately bring? The more you walk in peace with God, what is the byproduct? Joy. Pure joy. And the Bible lets us know that even now the disciples are not walking in that joy yet. They marveled. He said to them, have you any food here? So he's going to keep pursuing their shalom. He says, do you have food here? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb. So Jesus loved organic food and he was very healthy. And he took it and he ate it in their presence. Again, fascinating. Jesus has a glorified body and he can still eat food. And he does it in front of them. And, and what he's doing is instead of being angry with them over their doubt, he continues to confront their doubt. And he continues to inch them towards shalom. I bet he does that in your life. I'm hoping that even this teaching today, for many of you joining us from all over the world, that this will pull you in to the shalom that Jesus died and rose from the grave to provide for you. And that as shalom breakers, we would all begin to follow and believe and love and walk with the great shalom keeper, Jesus himself. And not only did Jesus speak peace to them, he now shares it with them. He begins to help them walk in shalom and peace. That's what he does. Then he said to them, verse 44, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. So now Jesus again attaches himself to Old Testament prophecy. Why are we making such a big deal out of those 300 plus prophecies that he fulfilled? Well, because he made a big deal of it. 
See, one of the great proofs of Jesus' validity as our Messiah and King and that he's God himself is that he, he fulfilled all that Old Testament prophecy and he helps the disciples walk in joyful shalom by seeing the proof of who he is. And then look at verse 45. Here's the supernatural part of Jesus. Here's the supernatural thing that we just can't do with sheer knowledge and study and intelligence. Verse 45, he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Now this, this is a miracle that just happened because now Jesus is supernaturally allowing the disciples to see the truth. Did you know that when you understand the Bible and the spiritual truth in it, that God is working in your life? And once again, we see a theme that's never gonna go away. Jesus keeps bringing his followers back to the Bible. You want shalom? Get a Bible. Because the scriptures, the truth, helps us understand what it looks like to really live in shalom. Verse 46, then he said to them, thus it is written, back to the word, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, and you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. So what we see here now is Jesus has spoken peace to them. He then shares shalom with them. He brings them into shalom. And then he does something amazing. He tells them, not only do you have shalom when I am with you, but Jesus is now foreshadowing the fact that he's going to leave and send his spirit and shalom will then be in them. This is an amazing part of Christianity. As long as Jesus was beside them, they had shalom. But Jesus is saying, I'm going to leave and I'm going to make this even better. Shalom will be in you. I'm sending you my spirit. But not only does he send shalom into us, he makes a demand here. All of us shalom breakers uh, who have met the shalom keeper are required now to be shalom sharers. The calling of our lives, the mission of our lives become now that wherever we go, we walk in and we bring and we share the peace of God, shalom. And how do we do that? We preach the repentance of sin and the remission of sin in Jesus. We tell people, turn from your sin and turn to Jesus. And we don't just tell them that, we live it. Jesus didn't just tell the disciples peace. He shared with them, touch me, see me. They got to experience it. And then he sent uh, the spirit to them, right? And then they are to become uh, the people, the ambassadors for shalom. And that brings us uh, to the end today. We as Christians broke shalom. Jesus came to bring it back. And for all who believe in him, we get to walk in shalom. But we don't just enjoy shalom with God and one another for ourselves. We begin to bring it everywhere we go. This means that as a husband, I'm to live and bring and pursue shalom peace in my home, with my wife, with my kids, at work, I'm to bring shalom. That's why Jesus said, pray your kingdom come to the Father. Meaning that wherever we go, we are to be people of peace. We bring peace. We pursue peace. We live in peace. We model peace. And not just a peace that says, hey, we're not going to rock the boat. It's not just the absence of bad. It's the presence of good. We are dynamic people of God because we are now shalom breakers who met the shalom keeper and we've been turned into Shalom sharers. Are you willing to take that journey today? If you don't know Jesus, you can walk in shalom. The glass is broken. You're not putting it back together. 
Maybe you're a believer and you've not been pursuing shalom in your home or with one another. Shalom is meant to be a part of our lives now. Jesus came to restore shalom. Peace to you. And what's amazing is He did all this for us. The gospel is a beautiful thing because every world religion tells you you have to put the glass back together, but not Jesus. In fact, it's reported that Buddha, his last words were, work hard to attain your own salvation. But Jesus, Jesus' last words were, it is finished. All other religions say you must do. But Jesus is the only one, the resurrected Jesus, the bringer of shalom. He says, it is done. And today I hope that you will rest in that. I hope you'll believe in that. I hope you will walk in that. Shalom to you.